0: chapter six part one of nana by emile zola translated by burton rascoe this librivox recording is in the public domain six part one count mufa accompanied by his wife and daughter had arrived the previous evening at les fondettes where madame hugon who was alone with her son georges had invited them to come and spend a week the house built towards the end of the seventeenth century was erected in the middle of an immense square enclosure without a single ornament but the garden contained some magnificent trees and a series of playing fountains supplied by neighbouring springs on the road from orleans to paris it appeared like a flood of verdure a bouquet of trees breaking the monotony of that flat country where cultivated fields could be seen as far as the horizon at eleven o'clock when the second sounding of the bell had gathered every one round the luncheon-table madame hugon with her kind maternal smile kissed sabine on both cheeks saying you know that when in the country i always do so having you here makes me feel twenty years younger did you sleep well in your old room then without waiting for an answer she turned toward estelle adding and this little one no doubt slept soundly all night come and kiss me my child they had sat down in the vast dining-room the windows of which looked on to the ornamental garden but they only occupied one end of the big table so as to be more together sabine was very merry recalling the events of her childhood which this visit had awakened months passed at la Fondettes. long walks a fall into one of the fountains one summer's evening an old romance of chivalry discovered on the top of some cupboard and red in winter seated before a blazing fire of vine-cuttings and georges who had not seen the countess for some months past noticed a peculiar look about her with something changed in the expression of her face whilst that stick estelle on the contrary seemed more a nonentity than ever still more awkward and dumb as they were eating some boiled eggs and some cutlets done very plainly madame hugon began to complain as only the mistress of a household can of the outrageous prices the butchers were charging for their meat she had to have everything from orleans and they never sent her the pieces she ordered besides if her guests fared badly it was their own fault they came too late in the season it is most foolish said she i have been expecting you ever since last june and now we are in the middle of september as you see it is no longer so nice out of doors with a gesture she indicated the trees on the lawn the leaves of which were commencing to turn yellow It was a cloudy day. A kind of bluey mist obscured the horizon in a melancholy peacefulness. "'Oh, I am expecting some people,' continued she. "'It will be more lively. First, there are two gentlemen whom Georges has invited, M. Fauchery and M. Dagonet. You know them, do you not?' "'Then M. de Vendeuvre, who has promised to come these five years past. This year, perhaps, he will really do so.' "'Ah, well!' said the countess laughing we have not much to expect if we have only Monsieur de vendeuvre to look forward to he is too busy and philippe queried Mufa. philippe has asked for leave replied the old lady but you will probably have left les fondettes before he arrives the coffee had just been served and the conversation had turned to paris where steiner was mentioned on hearing the name madame hugon uttered a faint cry by the way said she "Monsieur steiner is that stout gentleman i met at your house one evening is he not a banker i think he is a terrible man he has bought an actress a small estate about a league from here on the other side of the choux near Gumières. every one in the neighbourhood is scandalized did you know of it my friend not at all replied Miffa. ah so steiner has bought an estate near here on hearing his mother approach this subject georges buried his nose in his cup but surprised at the count's answer he raised his head again and looked Mufa full in the face why had he lied so deliberately the count having on his side noticed the young man's movement glanced at him with suspicion madame hugon gave some further particulars the estate was called la Mignotte. To reach it, you had to follow the course of the Choux as far as Gumières, where there was a bridge, and that made the road a good two miles longer. Otherwise, you had to wade across the stream and risk falling in. "'And what is the actress's name?' asked the countess. "'Ah, I had heard it mentioned,' murmured the old lady. "'Georges, you were there this morning, when the gardener was talking.' Georges made a pretense of trying to recollect. Muffin waited turning a teaspoon between his fingers meanwhile. Then the countess, addressing him, said, Is not M. Steiner living with that singer of the variety theatre, that Nana? Nana, yes, that is the name. A most abandoned woman, exclaimed Madame Hugon, who was losing her temper. And they are expecting her at La Mignotte. I have heard all about it from the gardener. Georges! Did not the gardener say they expected her this evening? The count started slightly with surprise, but Georges hastily replied, Oh, mamma!" The gardener spoke without knowing. Only a little while ago the coachman was saying something quite different. No one is expected at La Mignotte until the day after tomorrow. He tried to talk in a natural manner and watched the count from out of the corner of his eye to see the effect of his words. Mufa, with a reassured look was again turning the spoon between his fingers the countess gazing vaguely on the bluey horizon seemed to be miles away from the conversation as she followed with the shadow of a smile a secret thought suddenly awakened within her whilst estelle erect on her chair had listened to all that had been said about nana without a change on her pale virgin face well really now murmured madame hugon after a pause her good-nature triumphing It is wrong of me to feel angry. Everyone must live. If we should ever meet this person in our walks, the only thing to do is not to take any notice of her. And as they rose from the table, she again scolded Countess Sabine for having been so long in coming to see her. But the countess excused herself, saying the delay was all her husband's fault. Twice, when they had been ready to start, with their trunks all packed, he had put off their departure— saying that some very important matters required his presence in paris then he had suddenly given orders for starting just as the journey seemed definitely abandoned then the old lady related that georges had in the same way announced to her his coming on two separate occasions but had not made his appearance at either time and that he had suddenly arrived at les fondettes two days before when she was no longer expecting him they had now entered the garden the two men looking very important were walking on either side of the ladies and listening to them in silence all the same said madame hugon as she kissed her son's fair hair it is very kind of zizi to come and bury himself in the country with his old mother dear zizi he does not forget me during the afternoon she became very uneasy georges who directly after lunch had complained of pains in the head appeared to be gradually overcome by a most violent headache towards four o'clock he said he would go upstairs to bed it was the best remedy when he had had a good sleep till morning he would be all right again his mother persisted in putting him to bed herself but as she left the room he ran and locked the door after her pretending that he did so that no one might come and disturb him and he called out good-night mother dear in a most loving tone of voice and promised to sleep soundly through the night he did not go back to bed however but with a bright complexion and sparkling eyes he noiselessly dressed himself again then seating himself in a chair he patiently waited when the dinner-bell rang he watched for Comte mufa whom he saw enter the drawing-room ten minutes later certain of not being seen he nimbly escaped from the house by the window of his room and slid down a water-pipe to the ground he found himself in the midst of a shrubbery and was soon outside the grounds and with an empty stomach and a heart thumping with emotion he ran across country in the direction of the Choux. darkness was setting in and a fine rain had commenced to fall it was indeed that evening that nana was expected at la Mignotte. ever since the month of may when steiner had bought her her country residence she was every now and then seized with such a longing to go and inhabit it that she would burst into tears but each time bordeneuve refused her the smallest holiday putting her off until september on the pretext that he could not possibly replace her by an understudy even for one night during the time of the exhibition towards the end of august he began to talk of october nana furious declared that she would be at la mignonette by the fifteenth of september and to show that she meant what she said she invited a number of people in bordeneuve's presence to go and stay there with her one afternoon as Muffa, whose advances she artfully resisted was passionately imploring her to be less cruel she at length promised to be kind when she was in the country and to him also she named the fifteenth as the date of her arrival there then on the twelfth she was seized with a desire to start off at once alone with zoe perhaps baudenave knowing that she wanted to go would find some means of detaining her it amused her to think of leaving him in the lurch by merely sending him a doctor's certificate when once the idea of being the first to arrive at la mignotte of living there two whole days without any one knowing of it had seized hold of her she made zoe hurry the packing of the trunks and then pushed her into a cab where quite overcome she kissed her and begged her pardon it was only when she reached the railway station that she thought of sending a note to steiner to inform him of her departure she asked him to wait till the day after the morrow before joining her if he wished to find her well and loving then jumping to another idea she wrote a second letter in which she begged her aunt to bring little louis to her at once it would do babies so much good and they would be so happy playing together under the trees in the train from paris to orleans she could speak of nothing else with her eyes full of tears and mixing up together the flowers the birds and her child in a sudden outburst of maternal affection la mignotte was distant more than three leagues from Orleans nana lost an hour in securing a vehicle to take her there an immense dilapidated open carriage which rolled slowly along with a great jingling of old iron she at once attacked the driver a little taciturn old man whom she belabored with questions had he often passed by la mignotte so it was behind that hill there were probably plenty of trees there were there not and could the house be seen from a distance the little old fellow only answered with grunts nana jumped about impatiently in the vehicle whilst zoe annoyed at having had to leave paris in such a hurry remained stiff and sulky the horse having suddenly stopped the young woman thought they had arrived she leant over towards the driver asking is this the place for all answer the coachman whipped up his horse which painfully commenced ascending a hill nana was enchanted with the large expanse of country beneath the grey overcast sky oh look zoe What a lot of grass! Is that corn, do you think? Heavens! How lovely! It is very plain that madame has never been in the country, the maid ended by saying in a surly tone of voice. I had only too much of the country when I was at the dentist's, who had a house at Bougival. It's very chilly too this evening. Besides, the air is damp about here. They were passing beneath some trees. Nana sniffed at the scent of the leaves like a young dog suddenly on the road taking a turn she caught sight of the corner of a house amidst the trees perhaps that was it so she recommenced questioning the driver who again said no with a shake of the head then as they descended the hill on the other side he contented himself with pointing his whip murmuring there it is over there she jumped up and looked ahead where where cried she very pale and not distinguishing anything at length she noticed a bit of a wall then she sang and jumped for joy like a woman quite overcome by a powerful emotion zoe i see it i see it look on the other side oh on the roof there's a sort of little terrace with some bricks over there there's a conservatory oh but it's an enormous place oh i am so pleased look zoe look the carriage had stopped in front of the iron gates a little side door was opened and the gardener a tall thin fellow appeared holding his cap in his hand nana tried to look dignified for the driver already seemed to be laughing inwardly though his lips were tightly compressed together she restrained herself from running and listened to the gardener a very talkative one by the way who begged madame to excuse the place being a little untidy as he had only received her letter that very morning but in spite of her effort she seemed to be lifted from the earth and walked so fast that zoe could not keep up with her at the end of the path she stopped for an instant to take a look at the house it was a large building in the italian style flanked by a smaller structure and had been erected by a rich englishman who had resided for two years at naples he had however soon taken a dislike to it i will show madame over the premises said the gardener but nana who was some distance ahead called to him not to trouble himself she would look at everything by herself she preferred that and without taking off her bonnet she ran about the rooms calling to zoe giving her opinion about everything and filling with her shouts and her laughter the vacuum of that house which had remained uninhabited for so many long months first there was the hall it was rather damp but that did not matter no one would have to sleep there Then the drawing-room, which was splendid with its large windows opening onto the lawn. Only the red-covered furniture was frightful. She would have it altered. As for the dining-room, it was simply magnificent. And what parties one could give at Paris if one only had a dining-room of that size! As she was going up to the first floor, she recollected that she had not seen the kitchen. She went down again, uttering all kinds of exclamations and zoe had to admire the beauty of the sink and the magnitude of the fireplace which was large enough to roast a sheep when she had gone upstairs again her bedroom especially enraptured her it had been hung with a pale rose-coloured cretonne style of louis the sixteenth by an upholsterer from orleans well one ought to sleep well in there it was quite a schoolgirl's nest there were also four or five other bedrooms for guests and some magnificent attics which would be very useful for the trunks zoe looking very sulky just glanced coldly into each room and kept a long way behind madame she watched her disappear at the top of the steep ladder which led to the roof thank you for nothing she didn't want to break her legs but the sound of a voice reached her from afar off as though coming down the chimney zoe zoe where are you come up here oh you've no idea it's like fairyland Zoe ascended the ladder, grumbling the while. She saw madame on the roof, leaning against the brick balustrade and looking down upon the valley which extended into the distance. The horizon was immense, but it was half hidden by a grey mist, whilst a high wind drove away the fine drops of rain. Nana was obliged to hold her bonnet with both hands to prevent it blowing off, and her skirts flapped about like the snapping of a flag. Ah, no, indeed, said Zoe, bringing her head in at once madame will be blown away what awful weather madame did not hear with her head bent forward she was examining the grounds beneath her there were seven or eight acres all walled in then the view of the kitchen garden quite fascinated her she hurried inside again and rushed past the maid on the stairs exclaiming it's full of cabbages oh cabbages as big as that and lettuce and sorrel, and onions and everything come quick the rain was falling faster. She opened her white silk parasol and ran along the paths. Madame will be ill, cried Zoe, who quietly remained standing beneath the veranda. But Madame wished to see everything. Each fresh discovery brought more exclamations. Zoe, here's some spinach. Come and see. Oh, artichokes. They do look funny. They flower then, do they? I say, whatever's this? i don't know it at all come and see zoe perhaps you know but the maid did not stir madame must really be mad it was now pouring in torrents the little white silk parasol already looked quite black and did not cover madame whose skirt was sopping but this did not worry her in spite of the rain she inspected both the kitchen and fruit garden stopping at each tree and leaning over each bed of vegetables then she ran and gave a look down the well raised a frame to see what was underneath and became quite absorbed in the contemplation of an enormous pumpkin her business was to go along every path and take immediate possession of all these things of which she used to dream when she dragged her work-girl shoes along the streets of paris the rain fell faster still but she did not notice it and only regretted that the night was coming on apace she could no longer see plainly so she felt with her hands wherever she had a doubt All of a sudden, in the twilight, she discovered some strawberries. Then her childhood seemed to return to her. Strawberries! Strawberries! There are some, I feel them. Zoe, a plate. Come and gather some strawberries. And Nana, who had stooped down in the mud, let go of her parasol and received the full force of the shower. With her hands all wet, she gathered the strawberries among the leaves. Zoe, however, did not bring the plate as the young woman got up she had a fright she thought she had noticed something move an animal she cried but astonishment rooted her to the centre of the path it was a man and she had recognised him why it's baby whatever are you doing there baby i've come of course replied georges she remained lost in surprise did you then hear from the gardener of my arrival oh that child he is soaked ah i must tell you it began to rain after i started and then i didn't want to go around by gummiere and in crossing the shoe i slipped and fell into a confounded pool nana at once forgot the strawberries she was all trembling and full of pity that poor zizi in a pool of water she dragged him towards the house she talked of making up a big fire you know "'he murmured, stopping her in the darkness. "'I was hiding because I was afraid of being scolded like at Paris "'when I came to see you without being expected.' "'She began to laugh without answering and kissed him on the forehead. "'Until that day she had treated him like a child, "'not thinking seriously of his declarations, "'and amusing herself with him as with a youngster of no consequence. "'She made a great deal of fuss so that he should be comfortable. "'She insisted on the fire lighted in her bedroom.' they would be more cosy there the sight of georges did not surprise zoe used to all sorts of meetings but the gardener who brought up some wood was struck dumb on seeing the gentleman dripping with water to whom he was certain he had not opened the door he was sent away as nothing more was required a lamp lighted the room whilst the fire burst into a bright blaze he will never become dry he will catch cold said nana seeing georges shiver and not another pair of trousers in the house she was on the point of calling the gardener when an idea struck her zoe who had been unpacking the trunks in the dressing-room brought madame some clean clothes for her to change a chemise some petticoats and a dressing-gown but that's capital exclaimed the young woman zizi can put on these eh you don't mind putting on my things when your own clothes are dry you can put them on again and then hurry back home so as not to be scolded by your mamma be quick and i will go and change my things in the dressing-room when ten minutes later she reappeared in a dressing-gown she clasped her hands in rapture oh the love how pretty he looks as a woman he had merely put on a long night-dress an embroidered pair of drawers and a cambric dressing-gown trimmed with lace in those clothes he looked like a girl with his fair arms uncovered and his light hair still wet hanging down his neck he is really as slim as i am said nana taking hold of him round the waist zoe come and see how well they fit him eh don't they look as though they were made for him all except the body part which is too broad he hasn't as much as i have poor zizi there certainly is a slight difference murmured georges smiling all three were highly amused nana buttoned the dressing-gown all down the front so that he should look decent she turned him about like a doll gave him little taps and made the skirt swell out behind and she questioned him asking him if he was comfortable and if he was warm enough oh yes he was all right nothing was warmer than a woman's night-dress if he had had his way he would always have worn one he rolled himself about in it pleased with the soft touch of the linen with that loose garment that smelt so nice and which to him seemed slightly impregnated with the warmth of nana's body Zoé had taken his wet clothes down to the kitchen so as to dry them as quickly as possible before a large wood fire then georges stretched out in an easy-chair dared to make an avowal i say aren't you going to have anything to eat to-night i'm famishing i haven't had any dinner Nana was very angry. What a great stupid he was to run away from his mamma with an empty stomach just to go and throw himself into a pool of water. But she also felt rather hungry. Of course they must have something to eat, only they would have to do the best they could. And they improvised the funniest dinner ever heard of on a little table drawn up before the fire. Zoe ran over to the gardener who had made some cabbage soup in case Madame did not dine at Orléans. Madame had forgotten to mention in her letter what she required to be got ready. Fortunately, the cellar was well stocked. They had, therefore, some cabbage soup with a piece of bacon. Then, looking in her bag, Nana produced all sorts of things which she had taken the precaution to provide. A little goose liver pasty, a packet of sweets, some oranges. They both ate like ogres with the appetite of youth and like comrades without ceremony. Nana called Georges, my dear, she thought it more familiar and loving for dessert they devoured a pot of jam discovered on the top shelf of a cupboard both eating in turn with the same spoon so as not to disturb zoe ah my dear said nana as she pushed the little table on one side for ten years i haven't dined so well it was getting late however and she wished to send the youngster home so as not to bring him into trouble he kept repeating that he had plenty of time besides the clothes were not drying well zoe declared that they would take at least an hour longer and as she was every minute falling asleep being tired out by the journey they sent her off to bed then they were left alone in the silent house it was a calm pleasant night the fire was burning low and the heat was rather stifling in the big room the bed of which zoe had made before leaving nana feeling too warm rose to open the window for a minute but she uttered a faint cry heavens how lovely it is look my dear georges joined her and as though the window-rail was not long enough for two he put his arm round nana's waist and rested his head on her shoulder the weather had suddenly changed the sky was perfectly clear and studded with stars whilst a full moon lit up the country with a sheet of gold a sovereign peacefulness hung over all the valley widened and opened on to the immensity of the plain where the trees cast shadows that looked like islands in the motionless lake of light and nana was deeply moved and felt like a child again she was sure she had dreamt of such nights at an epoch of her life which she could no longer recall all that she had seen since she left the train this vast expanse of fields this grass that smelt so nice this house these vegetables all these upset her to such an extent that it seemed as though she had left paris fully twenty years before her existence of the previous day was already far away she felt as she had never previously felt georges all this while was slyly kissing her on the neck which increased her perturbation with a hesitating hand she repelled him as one would a child when wearied by its caresses and she repeated that it was time for him to go home he did not say no by and by he would leave by and by but a bird began to sing then stopped it was a robin in an elder bush under the window wait a minute murmured georges the lamplight frightens him i will put it out and when he came back again placing his arm around nana's waist he added we can light it again directly then as she listened to the robin whilst the boy pressed close against her nana recollected yes It was in novels that she had seen all that. Once, in the days gone by, she would have given her heart to have seen the moon thus, to have heard the robin, and to have had a little fellow full of love by her side. Oh, heaven! She could have cried. It all seemed to her so lovely and good. For certain, she was born to live a virtuous life. She again repelled Georges, who was becoming bolder. No, leave me. I won't it would be very wrong at your age listen i would be your mamma she had become quite bashful her face was flushing scarlet yet no one could see her the room behind them was full of the darkness of night whilst as far as the eye could reach the countryside unfolded the silence and immobility of its solitude never before had she felt such shame Little by little her strength seemed to leave her in spite of her constraint and her struggles. That disguise, that woman's nightdress and that dressing-gown made her laugh still. It was like a girlfriend teasing her. Oh, it is wrong, it is wrong, murmured she after a last effort, and she fell like a virgin into the child's arms in the face of the beautiful night. The house was hushed in sleep on the morrow when the luncheon-bell rang at les fondettes the table in the dining-room was no longer too large a first vehicle had brought fauchery and dagonet and after them came the count de vendeuve who had arrived by a later train georges made his appearance the last looking rather pale and heavy about the eyes in answer to all inquiries he replied that he was much better although still upset by the violence of the attack madame Hugon, who looked into his face with an anxious smile passed her hand through his hair which was badly combed that morning whilst he drew back as though embarrassed by the caress during luncheon she affectionately scolded vandeuvre whom she said she had been expecting for five years past well here you are at last how did you manage it vandeuvre thought best to treat the matter as a joke he related that he had lost an enormous sum of money the previous evening at his club so he had started off with the idea of settling down in the provinces yes really now if you can find me an heiress somewhere in the neighbourhood there must be some very charming ladies about here the old lady was thanking both daguenay and faucherie for having so kindly accepted her son's invitation when she experienced another pleasant surprise on seeing the marquis de Choix, who had just arrived in a third vehicle enter the room ah she exclaimed it must be a general meeting this morning you have all arranged to assemble here whatever has happened for years past i have never been able to get you to come and now you all arrive together oh but i am not complaining another place was laid at the table fauchery found himself seated beside countess sabine who surprised him with her liveliness she whom he had seen looking so languid in the austere drawing-room of the rue Deguenay, seated on estelle's left seemed uncomfortable at being so close to the silent lanky girl whose sharp elbows were his horror Muffat and de exchanged a sly glance vandeuvre continued to joke about his contemplated marriage respecting ladies madame Hugon ended by saying to him i have a new neighbor whom you probably know and she mentioned nana vandeuvre affected the utmost astonishment What? nana's country house is near here Faucherie and Dagenet also pretended to be surprised the marquis de chouard devoured the breast of a chicken without appearing to understand not one of the men had smiled without doubt resumed the old lady and what is more this person arrived last night at la Mignotte as i had expected i heard of it this morning from the gardener on receiving this information none of the gentlemen could hide their genuine astonishment they all looked up what nana had arrived and they were not expecting her till the morrow they had thought they were before her georges alone did not raise his eyes but looked at his tumbler in a wearied sort of way ever since the beginning of the meal he had seemed asleep with his eyes open and a vague smile hovered about his lips do you still suffer Zizi? inquired his mother who scarcely moved her eyes from him he started and blushing answered that he was quite well again but he still preserved the look of a girl who had been dancing too much what is the matter with your neck suddenly asked madame hugon in a frightened tone of voice it is all red he became confused and could scarcely stammer out a reply he didn't know he hadn't anything the matter with his neck then pulling up his shirt-collar he added ah yes some insects stung me the marquis de chouard cast a sidelong glance at the red mark Miffa also looked at georges luncheon was drawing to an end and they began to arrange some excursions in the neighbourhood faucherie became more and more affected by countess sabine's gaiety as he passed a plate of fruit to her their hands touched and she looked at him for a second with so deep a gaze that his thoughts again reverted to that confidence of which he was the recipient on a night of intoxication then she no longer appeared the same there was something that was more pronounced about her her grey silk dress made loose at the shoulders gave a sort of ease to her refined and sensitive elegance on leaving the table dagonet remained behind with faucherie to make some rather facetious and coarse remarks about estelle A pretty broomstick to shove into a fellow's arms. However, he became serious when the journalist mentioned the amount of her dowry. Four hundred thousand francs. And the mother, inquired Fauchery, she's a fine woman, isn't she? Oh, she as much as you like. But there's no chance, my boy. Bah, one never knows without trying. No one was going out that day as it was still very showery georges had hastily disappeared and locked himself in his room the gentlemen avoided coming to an explanation among themselves though they individually knew very well what reasons had brought them together vendeuvre who had lost heavily at play had indeed entertained the idea of spending some time in the country and counted on the proximity of a female friend to reconcile him to his voluntary exile faucherie taking advantage of the holiday allowed him by rose who just then was very much occupied proposed to make an arrangement with nana for a second article in the event of a country life bringing their hearts together again de who had been sulky ever since steiner appeared on the scene thought of making it up again and of picking up a few crumbs of love should occasion offer as for the marquis de choir he bided his time But among all these men on the track of Venus, only half free of her paint, Mufat was the most ardent, the most tormented with new sensations of desire, of fear, and of anger which contended in his agitated person. He had a distinct promise. Nana was expecting him. Why, then, had she left Paris two days earlier? He determined to go to La Mignotte that very night after the dinner. That evening, as the Count left the grounds, Georges followed him. He parted from him on the road to Gumières, and, wading across the choux, arrived at Nana's all out of breath, his eyes filled with tears of rage. Ah, he understood. That old fellow who was on the road had an appointment with her. Nana, astonished at this display of jealousy, uneasy at the turn things were taking, folded her arms around him, and consoled him as well as she could. No, he was mistaken. She was not expecting anyone. If the gentleman was coming, it was not her fault. Zizi was a great stupid to put himself out so much about nothing at all. She swore by her child that she loved no one but her Georges, and she kissed him and wiped away his tears. Listen, you will see that everything is for you, said she when he had become calmer. Steiner has arrived. He is upstairs. You know, my darling, I can't send him away. Yes, I know. I don't mind him, murmured the youngster. Well, I have put him in the room at the end of the passage, pretending that I was not well. He is unpacking his portmanteau. As no one saw you come in, run up quick and hide yourself in my room, and wait for me! Georges jumped up and put his arms round her. It was true then, she did love him a little. So it would be yesterday over again. They would turn out the lamp, and remain together till daylight dispelled the darkness. Then, hearing a bell ring, he noiselessly hurried away upstairs in the bedroom he at once took off his shoes so as not to make any noise then he hid himself crouched upon the floor behind a curtain and waited like a good boy when count mufat appeared nana felt a slight awkwardness having scarcely regained her composure after the scene with georges she had promised the count and she would have liked to have kept her promise because he seemed a man who meant business but really who could ever have foreseen all that had occurred the previous day the journey this house that she had never known before the youngster who had arrived soaking wet and how nice it had all seemed to her and how pleasant a continuance of it would be so much the worse for the gentleman for three months past she had dallied with him playing the respectable woman so as to inflame him all the more well he would have to wait a bit longer he could hook it if it didn't please him she would rather chuck up everything than be unfaithful to georges The Count had seated himself in the ceremonious way of a country neighbour making a call. His hands alone trembled slightly. In his sanguineous constitution, still in a state of virginity, inordinate desire, scourged by Nana's skilful tactics, was at length producing frightful ravages. That grave-looking man, that Chamberlain who traversed with such a dignified step the gilded saloons of the Tuileries, would at night-time bite the bolster on his bed and sob aloud, carried away by his exasperation and ever invoking the same sensual vision but this time he was determined to end his suffering along the road in the peaceful twilight he had thought of gratifying his passion by force and directly they had exchanged a few words he tried to take nana in his arms no no mind what you are doing said she simply without getting angry and smiling at him all the time at length he caught her his teeth firmly clenched then as she struggled he became brutal and coarsely told her why he had come she still smiling though embarrassed held his hands she spoke to him lovingly so as to make her refusal seem less harsh come my darling keep quiet really i cannot steiner is upstairs but he was mad never before had she seen a man in such a state she began to feel frightened she placed her hand over his mouth to hush the cries he uttered, and lowering her voice she begged him to keep quiet, to let her go. Steiner was descending the stairs. Her position had become ridiculous. When Steiner entered the room he heard Nana, who was comfortably stretched out in an easy chair, saying, As for myself, I adore the country. Turning her head, she interrupted herself and added, Darling, this is Count Mufa. "'who noticed the lights as he was passing by "'and has just called in to bid us welcome.' "'The two men shook hands. Miffa stood an instant without speaking, his face in shadow. "'Steiner seemed sulky. "'They talked of Paris. "'Business was very bad, "'and some most abominable things had occurred on the bourse. "'At the end of a quarter of an hour, Miffa took his leave, "'and as the young woman accompanied him to the door, "'he asked, without obtaining it, "'an appointment for the following evening.' steiner almost immediately went off to bed grumbling against the ailments that were always affecting the female sex at last the two old fellows were got rid of when nana was at length able to rejoin georges she found him still patiently waiting behind his curtain the room was in darkness he had drawn her down on the floor beside him and they played together rolling about like children stopping every now and then and smothering their laughter with kisses whenever their feet knocked against any of the furniture afar off on the Gumire road count mufa was walking slowly along holding his hat in his hand and cooling his heated brow in the fresh night air End of chapter six part one